Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And uh, Chris, we are, as as we're recording right now, we are nine days away from opening day. The Mets will have played their, fir- their full first game nine days from now, if everything goes to plan. How are you feeling about the potential for this season actually happening now that we can, you know, pretty much see where it is? Um, I think the first couple of weeks are going to happen no matter what, because it, the virus is already getting bad, you know, and I, I, that nervous laugh in times like these is not, it's not funny that it's getting bad. It's insane that it is, um, in, in so many parts of the country. So I think it would take something almost unimaginable right now to derail the early part of the season. But I still wonder if the logistics end up getting to be nearly impossible as things start to play out. Um, You know, the Mets within the first week of the season, they have, uh, borrowing hockey terminology, a home and home with the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, why? I don't... (laughs) There's no fans there. There's no gate revenue. So if you're going to have the same two teams playing each other for four days in a row, why not just pick Fenway Park? No offense to City Field, but the Mets, you know, the Mets don't get to play at Fenway uh, all that often. Well, why not just have four games at Fenway Park uh, in that series? That, that's one of my early season pieces of feedback, I guess. <laughs> but... I don't know. I mean, a couple of months ago, I said I'd be su- uh, surprised if a baseball game happened in New York City, um, despite having thought at, at some point once things got better here that New York was likely to be one of the safest places to be in the country, um, which has turned out to be the case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, I don't know. I I'd still be surprised if the entirety of the 60 game season happens uh, especially if rosters start getting impacted in, in a big way by players either opting out or being put in a situation where they have to be apart from the team whether they you know have a family member uh or or you know someone they're close with who tests positive for the virus or they uh, you know test positive themselves yeah, you know, I, I feel kind of, you know, similarly to how you feel right now. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to see all 60 games. I don't know if we're going to see 30 games. I'm pretty sure we're going to see 10 games. Like, it seems to me like to to be able to... To be able to get 10 games off seems a, about right for where everything sits right now. Now... I mean, you know, California is going back into shutdown. I know that's going to happen at some point here on the East Coast. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen, and I don't know how that will affect the season, but I do think, like you, I think the season's going to start. I am, like, 
<laughs> I'm sort of wildly optimistic about the team's chances for um you know for the the season because I just I'm heartened by seeing some of the offensive I mean you know everyone's saying how good Cespedes looks you know we see Cano has now reported to camp we see that you know it just looks like this team is going to have a really really solid offensive core and I think in a short season anything can happen and you know, so I'm finding myself with this optimism for the team, but as we spent an entire hour-long episode talking about, I don't have a lot of optimism for baseball right now, or a lot of hope for baseball right now, both from like a moral standpoint and a practical standpoint. So it's a very weird place to be in right now. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's something that you know we talked about a couple episodes back. Um, you know, I, I wrote something basically sparked by that conversation that we had. Um, you know, everything we're doing is under this context of not being totally comfortable with it. But since it's happening, you know, we are, we're tuned in. Uh, we're, we're certainly going to talk about it and write about it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the one thing right now is that <clears throat> given the backdrop against which baseball will be played, Baseball is not going to be the driving force of the public health crisis at, at this point in time. You know, if if the entire country had gotten things under control um, <clears throat> on the same timeline that New York did, then we might be looking at it and saying, like, whoa, hey, these guys traveling all over the place, you know, are, are they going to cause, uh, you know, issues in, in the places that they go? Um you know, any kind of travel could. So I don't want to downplay that possibility. But it's just such a, a, a wide range of uh, places that, that are dealing with this right now that I, I, I don't know. I guess it just makes that aspect of it less uncomfortable for me. If sure. that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it it still doesn't feel real um to just say you know from the time we're recording this right now nine days from now is opening day i mean think of think of what like march 19th feels like right. in a normal year or you know march 21st before opening day was moved into the end of march right. by major league baseball um it doesn't feel like that at all i you know, one thing I will say, if you just strictly from a baseball standpoint, a lot of people like to say the spring training is too long. Um, but seeing this three-week summer camp version of it, it, it kind of helps demonstrate why spring training itself isn't too long <laughs> to have guys show up and, and start getting into these situations um, and ramp things up, especially on the pitching side of things. Uh, it, it feels rushed. It feels like we are going to see a lot of relief pitchers in the first week or two of the season. Yes, um, absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned opening day being nine days away. We have two televised Mets games this weekend. Yeah. You know, it's 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 coming fast, man. I It still does not feel real to me 
at all, uh, like you said. But we did get a bit of good news today, which was uh, last night Jacob DeGrom was pulled from the Mets. Uh, I guess it was like an intra-squad game they were doing with uh, some back stiffness. And he was sent for an MRI, and the results came back negative. There's nothing showing up on there. He is considered day-to-day just some general back stiffness. Um, obviously, the as Sandy Alderson once dubbed it, you know, Panic City goes into a tizzy with whenever an injury happens. But were you particularly worried about this, or did you feel okay about it? Um. Well, it's funny. A friend of mine asked, on a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about DeGrom last night? And I said 7. Not that I thought that he necessarily had a major issue, but uh, <laughs> he, he pitched one inning. <laughs> uh, and he's supposed to pitch next Friday in a, in a scenario where you would think... <laughs> he can go 6 or 7, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in, in that sense, and in the sense of you know every start uh, any pitcher makes being equivalent to roughly three starts in a normal season. Um, That's not good. (laughs) You know, Um, the rotation, I I have enough concerns with Rick Porcello and uh, Michael Waka being in it on a, on a regular basis. Um, Taking DeGrom out of it, even for a week or two would be a, a big deal. So, yeah, I, I guess last night my concern was relatively high based on the circumstances. Um, and I, I still have some concern because, hey, look, maybe maybe he doesn't pitch on Friday the 24th, but he does pitch three or four days later and he still makes 12 starts, you know? Mm-hmm. But maybe he doesn't. And if he makes eight or nine starts instead of 11 or 12 uh that that's a it's a big difference you know when you're talking about the best pitcher in baseball which i don't think any Mets fans forget but everything's weird you know spring (laughs) training that we were at this year doesn't doesn't feel like it was the same that feels like it had nothing to do with what's happening now so just a reminder he is the best it's so weird to think about the fact that we were at spring training. I know you and I have talked about this both on the show and just personally, but that really feels like a lifetime ago in so many ways. And uh, I, I, I truly do not know how to wrap my head around <laughs> around any of this. Um, but, I, you know, I was concerned about DeGrom last night just because I'm – you know, to, to quote Toby Hyde, you know, pitchers break, it's what they do. And I feel like just we've watched enough players that we care about as as fans just completely fall apart over the smallest thing, you know. Something that, that looks totally benign initially and then you don't see him on the field for 18 months because it's the start of uh, it's the start of a Tommy John ramp up or whatever it is. And I know this was his back and all that, but we've also seen a back injury derail a great player <laughs> relatively recently. So, you know, it's just, it, it's, I was a little bit concerned just because you're always concerned to see a, a player go down. But, you know, hopefully this was a blip and it's not a big deal. And DeGrom is back, like you said, uh, ASAP. 
I want to talk a little bit about Yoenna uh, Cespedes, which I know is a topic close to your heart and a topic we don't get to talk about on the show as much as we thought we would have maybe when he first came over in the trade five years ago. Also, good God, that was five years ago. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost exactly. Almost the day. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but, you know, Cespedes has been declared like the star of camp. Everyone's saying how good how good he looks right now. Um what what are your realistic expectations for Cespedes in twenty twenty? Presuming we play, what do you think he can do in a shortened season? Uh, sixty home runs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, in, in all seriousness, um, and and he and Cano have this in common, uh, and it's something that I I felt about David Wright. Um, you know, players who are on that elite level, I will always give them the benefit of the doubt. I will always think that they have something left in them. Um, you know, whether it's just age, which is Cano's situation, um, or David Wright, you know, tr- you know, working through his spinal stenosis and and getting a little bit of playing time after he had that diagnosis, but not, not much, but you know, Cespedes has been on just sort of a awesome level in his time as a Met. And he was always a good player, but damn, his career as a Met is, uh, it's really, really good. You know, when he's and, and healthy, as our friends on our sister show, a pot of their own, pointed out last night on their live show, when he's healthy, he has been good his entire time as a Met, essentially. Yeah. And I know it's been a long time since he's been in a game, uh, you know, in, in a major league game that counted for anything. But that kind of guy, I'm always going to think he's still got something left. Uh, you know, he's only 34. He... He's one of very few Mets, I think, to be well above league average as a hitter in every season he played on the team. Uh, that's not a knock on anybody else. It's just it's hard to do, you know. Um, so uh, jokes about 60 home runs aside, I would say in a 60-game season, he could hit 15 to 20. Um I still suspect he will spend most of his time as a designated hitter, mm-hmm. but that video clip the other day of him catching a fly ball behind his back and then like throwing it 50 miles an hour faster underhand than I can overhand. <laughs> um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is just the, the level of talent that he has and the amount of fun he has using that talent is a rare combination. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I put him right in that category. Uh, just somebody who I think I look at what he's done. I know it's been two years since he's you know been in a game, um, but there's no reason I don't think he can go out there and put up a, a line similar to what he has as a Met, which would be somewhere around like 285, 340, you know, 525. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really good. And also like David Wright, and I think I may have said this on our last episode, but 
whether I'm repeating myself or not. Uh, he's a guy who I will sacrifice my DH principles if there's some way. I know the Mets have like 10 DHs, so it <laughs> probably doesn't make sense. But if he goes out there and he's like August, September, Cespedes from 2015 and 2020 over August and September, uh, I want him back. I don't know how to make that work, but I want him back. Well, you know, hear me out. Pitchers are not going to be at their usual strength. No. Nope. And Cespedes crushes mistakes. Just like crushes mistakes. He is one of the hitters I've watched as a Met that as soon as you can tell a pitcher didn't make the pitch he wanted to make, you're watching it go over the wall. Like he's just so good at catching those little mistakes. I think he could have. I mean, he's not going to hit sixty home runs, right? But I, right. but, but I, I think he could have an absolutely monster year this year. Yeah, I, I think it's very, very possible. And I think that, I think that being a DH three or four days a week, and then playing in the field one or two days a week, I think that's that's possible for him. And man, that would be great to see if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, that that sort of experience, that that feeling of watching him, uh, going back to some of those home runs he hit, the one that he hit, I forget if it was the one that went into the upper deck of City Field. Uh, it, it must have been, but it, it was one that just traveled at some absurd distance. And one of the best parts of going back and watching that home run was just listening to the sound and imagine that sound with nobody in the park. <laughs> People will go deaf at the crack of that bat. <laughs> I mean that like, I know the field is mic'd up and, and you know, and all that, but still there's just a, a profound difference in what microphones pick up when there's, you know, 30 to 40,000 people to absorb some of that sound. Uh, you know, so a bunch of concrete and plastic and and nobody in any of those seats. Um, I think that, that that should be the soundtrack of, of this shortened season is Cespedes is just destroying baseballs. Well, not no one in the seats, Chris. Have Did you get the email yesterday for your fan cutout? Um, I don't know if I did. So. If you have 86 bucks just laying around burning a hole in your pocket and you don't wear any clothing that has any logo besides a Met logo on it, you can have a cardboard cutout of yourself made and put in the stands at City Field. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I was aware of that. I don't know if I was uh, They're available right on the now. email list. They're available right now. <laughs> and, uh, so what I'm hearing is that we should get a cardboard cutout of uh, Rich Staff. And <laughs> yes, yes. Chip in eighty-six divided by however many of us there are. <laughs> yes, I, I either rich staff or no, it has to be rich. It has to be rich staff. <laughs> he has to be the one to get the cardboard cut out for us. Um, but he can't wear the Amazing Avenue logo. The list of things you can't do is hilarious. Um, no commercial advertisements, including slogans, websites, and phone numbers. No social media handles or hashtags. No offensive or negative references to any MLB. MLB team, no name of any MLB player, no statements or endorsements of political candidates, and no third-party logos or branding. Somebody should try to submit the uh, 
seven line original sell the team <laughs> just to see how quickly it could get rejected yeah i was saying to my wife i, I you gotta i want to try and find like the sneakiest way to get all of those things into uh into it like you know <laughs> just just get cleverly disguised everything in there and then laugh to myself who is now 86 dollars poorer <laughs> but yeah. yeah i'm not doing it sorry guys <laughs> the um the, the best part of that will be Gary, Keith, and Ron uh, discussing the cardboard cutouts. Yes. Because you know they will. Well, what's going to happen is somebody's going to get like a foul ball to the mush, and the head's going to just break off of it, and then they're going to have to talk <laughs> about it because it's a decapitated cardboard cutout in the stands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be something. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so a- a- after a long absence, Robinson Cano made his return to the team this week. It does not appear that he had missed any time because of COVID-related uh, symptoms, correct? As far as we know. Um, you know, some teams, and it's it's the player's choice whether or not they want to, you know, divulge any COVID-related information. Um, but... It seems that the Mets approach has been, you know, pretty much they're not going to talk about any of that um, if it does come up. So it's it's hard to tell. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it could have been. It could not have been. Yeah, it seems like the time the time frame is a little bit short if it was COVID-related. Um, but, you know, who knows? Um, how do you feel about um, Cano as a as a contributing factor for the team this year? I know that you were higher on Cano's uh, on the Cano trade than a lot of Mets fans were. How do you feel about him going into year two? I think uh, I certainly expect better than last year, and obviously this season has the disclaimer that anything can happen to any player but if we for now assume that we have a shortened season and whatever the case with everything that's going on uh there's something closer to a full season next year i would still expect that he is capable of being a very good hitter um i hope i'm right you know, it's, it's somewhat important to the team. You you could build a really good team without that happening, um, given some of the other talent that is on the Mets roster. But, yeah, I, you know, I look at his track record and what was it? It was just, yeah, his fourth season in the big leagues. He, he just kind of had a down year. Obviously, he was in his early to mid-20s at the time. Um, but he like Cespedes and like David Wright and like a bunch of other players, he he's been at a level that most guys don't get to and especially stay at the way that he has. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I don't know. I, I think he's fully capable of being an above average hitter, um, which is nothing to sneeze at. You know, I, I think what he did last year was probably at least partly affected by having played through what, what was the leg injury quad 
Hammy, one it, one, one it, you know. Yeah. Quad, so, quad. I, I'm not, I'm not entirely positive. Yeah, yeah. If spring training this year feels like a distant memory, the 2019, <laughs> the first half of the 2019 season, like Mickey Calloway being the Mets manager, does not seem even remotely like it's the same universe as the one we're in right now. Dude, there was a some on Facebook. The Mets posted a, a highlight reel of Dom Smith, and it ended with Dom Smith's walk off home run from the end of the season last year. And I watched that, and I was like, oh, my God, Mickey Calloway was there. (laughs) Of course he was. He was the manager. But, I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, it it feels like a different universe. But, um, yeah, I I think Cano, whether WRC Plus or OPS Plus is your, you know, whatever whatever flavor you prefer, um, I think he's fully capable of bouncing back a little bit, being somewhere in the, you know, 120 to 130 range um very often in his career that's that's where he's sat uh and i I just don't think he's toast yet i mean what he did last year wasn't the signs of somebody who was toast it was just a step back from you know what his normal production would be so yeah i i think the 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 thing that's gonna hurt cano this year is that if this happened last year, in terms of them there being a DH, he would have DH'd a lot of Mets games last year. But he's like the third most likely guy to DH right now, maybe fourth most likely guy. And he should, like, he's at the point in his career where he should be the first guy on the depth chart for the DH. But to me, he's behind Cespedes. He's behind J.D. Davis. He's uh, possibly behind Dom Smith. Like, these are guys who who are likely to get more reps at DH, and he's going to probably be playing more second base. So if he could take a shortened season as DH and rebuild his, you know, just get stronger and sort of rebuild his reputation, he could have come out of the gate strong next season. But I don't think he gets the bulk of the DH time this year. Yeah, I would I would guess he won't. You know, you mentioned a few minutes ago um, – you know, the Cespedes say he DHs a few times a week, plays a field a couple times a week. Um, Cano is certainly a, a good candidate to get in there. Um, you know, and it, of course it had to be in his first season with the Mets. Um, obviously in 2018, he was suspended for a lengthy period of time, but throughout his career and especially 2007, up until the point he was suspended in 2018, the guy barely missed any games. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was the model. Not only was he a great hitter, a good defender, um, but he was as durable as anybody gets in, in the sport these days. You know, 159, 160, 161 games per year. Of course, and I, I know, you know, he's a little older now, but still, of course... <laughs> With the Mets, he, he puts up 107 games played uh, when durability has been one of his biggest assets over the course of his career. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's just the way it is. <laughs> A guy's going to come to the Mets and this is going to happen to him. But Yeah. That's all right. Um. Do you have any other pressing concerns or issues going into the season? I don't know if we're going to have another podcast before the season begins, 
So I know we laid out sort of the moral quandaries of the season. I know we talked about some rule changes. Now we've talked about some, you know, particular players. Is there anything else you want to get on record before the season starts? Um, no, I don't really have anything too bold here. This is like pinball baseball. Just like I, anything could happen. The Marlins could win the division this year. Yeah. Like, I would not bet on that. They are the least likely team to do it. But they could because it's two months. So I guess that's my big thought is just, you know, if DeGrom makes 12 starts, the Mets have as good a shot as anybody at getting into the postseason. Um, And if he doesn't, I I don't like their chances. It, it, It sucks that it, you know, feels that way um but it does but at the same time i don't know the anything could happen so you look at the roster um sort of top to bottom i guess my biggest concern is that in the first two weeks of the season when there's a 30-man roster and i think it's two weeks in that it goes down to 28 it's either yes. two or four. I, it, right? I believe it's two and then two to 26. Yeah. So when there's a 30-man roster, my biggest concern, and I don't think any team has a strong eighth, ninth, and tenth relief pitcher, but we're going to see all of them. Yes. You know? And for two weeks out of a, an eight-week season, that's a lot. Um. So I guess that's my biggest concern. It's not really Mets-specific, um, but I would not have called their bullpen the deepest bullpen in baseball in March before we hit you know, pandemic status. So uh, I'll focus there. The back end of the bullpen could be a wild ride. Yes. Uh, although, I mean, even the middle, you know, we... I don't know how much you consider this guy a backender or a middle or whatever, but um, the uh, Brad Brock was put on the DL today, the IL today rather. Yeah, uh, we don't know why. We know that he didn't show up, um, you know, uh, until you know uh, late in camp. Or is he even there? Is, is Brock? Is he still not, still not reported? Yeah, I believe you know Cano had been there for a couple of days, then was absent, and now you know, was back today. Uh, but Brock, I believe, has not been at camp at all, um, this version of it. So, you know, it's... There are, there are many things we've speculated about over the years, but I never thought we'd be speculating whether or not a player had a, um, a virus that is part of a pandemic. <laughs> That's true. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be very weird to see. Like, I I legitimately thought, you know, I had the chance to sit down and talk with um Riley Gilliam in spring training, and I thought like, oh, there's an outside chance this guy's called up in September, and that would be cool having had that nice talk with him in spring training. And, yeah. Uh, like, no, he might make the opening day roster and pitch in the first weekend of the season because who knows what the bullpen usage is going to look like. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he's got a shot. Um, you know, I forget when we talked to him, had he finished Don Quixote or was no, he reading he was, it at the time? He was reading it at the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that will be in my write up of him this, this off season. I mean, this, this lead up to his preview will be a lot about Don Quixote. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's just, it's very weird. The, the one other thing I did want to say is I know there's this temptation to say that this season doesn't count because it probably shouldn't be happening, etc. But I will say this. If the Mets win any major awards or the World Series, let's make sure this season counts, folks. <laughs> fun fun seasons where the Mets win baseball games isn't an everyday occurrence. So let's enjoy this season for whatever it is, if we can. As long as they aren't doing horrible human rights atrocities and making people play sick and all of that, Let's let's try and enjoy this season if we can. I know it's gonna be hard for me, but I'm gonna really try. Yeah, and I think that's really the right approach. It's um, for however long it's happening, these games are happening. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's the the, the this whole thing's been. Days are, are, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how they all blend together, and they do. Um, but some days are good and some days aren't. And I think everybody is going through that. Um, you know, uh, in, in his briefings, I know Cuomo mentioned, you know, Groundhog's Day a bunch of times. And, and it can really feel that way. Days where you just wake up and, and go, oh, man, all right, it's, it's a day. It's another one, you know, and you really want to try to not wish any of them away. Um, so as long as baseball is happening, it'll be nice to to have that, you know, some new, unpredictable, weird thing. Um, but thanks to the Internet uh, and, you know, we have our own little corner of it with, with our community. Um, it gives us something to, to come together digitally for. And, you know, I, I don't think that should be lost on people. You know, there's right now there's, there's risk in, in anything you do. So it's, uh, it, I don't know. It, I, I'm trying to not feel guilty about wanting to enjoy this, even though there's that part of yes. me that goes, you know, I, I, I guess as long as you are able to have that perspective, for me, that is where you can kind of draw that line. You know, if you're just like, go out and play baseball and entertain me, you're an asshole. But if you can have that perspective that, look, I appreciate these guys are going out there to do this. Yes, it's their careers. Yes, they are competing. You know, they, they have drive that goes into it, but they are going out there. If, you know, if nobody watched baseball, it wouldn't really be a big deal. It would be very easy to say, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll cancel this season. But, but people do. So, yeah, you said it way more concisely than I did. <laughs> no, but I, 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 but, but I like the point. I like the point. You know, we, we have to try and find joy where we can right now. Um, so yeah, 
All right. If that means Pete Alonso and Cespedes basically playing home run derby <laughs> against the division and the AL East, uh, so be it. You know what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen is that the Mets are going to just fucking trounce the Yankees all whenever they play, and Yankee mm-hmm. fans are going to say it doesn't count. Um, yeah. So just watch those dingers go over the fence, and remember it all counts. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's um, I mean, that goes back to something that, that like right when things were shutting down and people were sort of um, throwing out ideas, you know, oh, if we get 100 games, is that a legitimate season? And it's just like, is that really? Is that the biggest thing we have to worry about right now? You know? <laughs> like if we get baseball, we are lucky. And yeah. I still feel that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Chris, what is your music pick for this week? Let's end on some some positive musical notes here. Sure, yeah. Um, band Boris, Japanese rock band. Um, at times, uh, they they've got they, a range of styles that, uh, that they play in, but uh, you know, at their best, they are just a powerful band, um, fast loud uh they're pretty awesome and you know i've I've had the pleasure of seeing them a few times over the years um they're fantastic live they're one of many bands that you know whenever this pandemic is over i can't wait to see them again um and they they sort of came out of nowhere with a record that they put out either last week or the one before um but they dropped it on a Friday. It's on Bandcamp, just boris.bandcamp.com for them. The album is called No, and I believe they wrote and recorded it during this. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I thought I had read that. But regardless of exactly what the timeline was, uh, damn, it's good. You know, the, the, This is a band that has put out records very, very regularly to the point that even as somebody who loves them, I cannot keep up with all of it like i just you know this coming from a king giz fan well yeah yeah no it's i mean i don't know that boris ever put out five records in one year (laughs) but boris has put out records all the time yes um and you know it can just be a little hard to keep up but yeah this one is really good it is uh i think they're what's widely regarded as sort of their masterpiece was pink and it is the most similar to that i think that they've sounded since then um you know it has it has some of those songs that just kind of make me think of that record but not in a way that that sounds like it's pink part two um so yeah check them out uh, Bandcamp, I believe, is the only place that you can stream or buy the album digitally right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good. What about you? Well, you inspired me to pick a Japanese record. Nice. So um, I have a cousin. Uh, he's never going to listen to this, but if it is, if he, if he does, hey Chris, what's up? And Chris and I just send each other like links to videos and YouTube. He's really into old horror movies and shit. So 
He'll occasionally send me a really cool like soundtrack to an old horror movie, or one time he sent me a YouTube link to the all the music from the first Sonic the Hedgehog game, which like I did not know I needed in my life, but after I played that game for so many hours as a kid, <laughs> like it just brought me to this really zen, peaceful place. But like a month ago, he sent me a text and just said like something like this is the shit. And it was a link to a, a Japanese jazz record from 1975 called Cat by someone named Hiroshi Suzuki. And I don't know if you're like me, Chris, but when I f- hear something I like, I instantly try and find out more about the band or the artist, and I try and re- seek out their other records and all that. Well, it, it, it appears that Suzuki was a, a trombone player, or maybe is, I don't know if he's still alive or not. This album's from 1975, but... Uh, like he was very much a sideman for a lot of other jazz groups, but I think this is the only record he put out as a band leader, and it is it is a very particular mood. Let me put it that way. I, this is not something you can put on. I think at any time, any day, and it fits with you. It it's like jazz, but kind of into like jazz fusion rock. A little bit of funk, maybe buried in there, but it's very smooth. It's a very smooth listen. But um, it was one of those texts I got where I, I saw it, but I didn't like instantly click on the link. And then about a week or two ago, I was doing some work about about this time of night actually, and I was like, I was looking on my phone for something else, and I saw it, and I clicked it, and it just totally hit for that moment. You know, sometimes sometimes you just have the right combination of like how you're feeling and the and the mood and the time of day and the lighting in the room and all the elements came together and I was like, holy shit, this is the best album I've heard this year. And I, I don't know if I stand by that now. It's still quite good, but it just like took me in the moment. And there's specifically there's a song, it's um uh like eleven or ten or eleven minutes long. It's the third track, I believe, in the album. Um on Spotify, the album is just listed with its Japanese title, so you cannot see the name. So I, I had to go to Discogs to find the name. The track is called Walk Tall. It's 10 minutes and 14 seconds long. And it's if you listen to that and if you like it, you have a wonderful rest of an album to find out. If you listen to that and it's not your thing, I totally understand you moving along and not listening to it. But it, it's very cool. I like it a lot. Hiroshi Suzuki's Cat. Nice, I like it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's um, I I feel like it's one of the it's somebody I read an article about it where they called it a YouTube classic. Apparently, it's been floating around YouTube for a few years now. It was just reissued on vinyl a few years ago and is now out of print again on vinyl. So, um, <laughs> I'm hoping to grab a, a copy either cheaply or when the next reissue comes out, whenever that is. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Um. I can edit this out if not. Are we doing a Varg this weekend? Uh, I don't know. There's a chance we're doing a virtual ARG this weekend. Uh, if if we do, you'll see it on AmazingAvenue.com. So check AmazingAvenue.com. Maybe we'll be hanging out during one of the games this weekend. But if not, we are going to do a couple of virtual meetups during the season, during games. Um, although we did just hear that uh, Gary, Keith, and Ron are going to be doing 56 of the 60 games. So maybe yep. we should pick those other four games as the Vargs. Yeah, that would be good. Because no one needs to hear national broadcasters. No one. Especially not this year. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so go to AmazingAvenue.com for Varg information, for uh, Mets news, for season previews, for our other excellent podcasts. I think between this week and next, we will have all of our shows represented. Amazing Avenue in Conversation, Amazing Avenue Audio, the show, Unformidable, a pot of their own, and from Complex to Queens. And the goal is that once the season starts, we'll be having, you know, more of those regular shows. And, you know, we'll see. Who knows what the season's going to look like, but we know that we'll be around for whatever it does look like. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find this show. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it. Those things help us quite a bit. You can follow Chris on Twitter, at Chris McShane. You can follow me, at Brian Needs a Nap. That's Brian with an I, never a Y. And uh, until next time, and until the season starts, potentially, let's go Mets.